Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names on my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who's counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I've set the Lord continually before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. We are in a series right now called Songs from the Heart. And this series is all about the Psalms that are written in the, right in the middle of the Bible. And a lot of the Psalms are like songs. They function in a way that really does give us a, a, an insight into what people want to sing about or what people might feel the need to sing about there. And so here at LifePoint, we say our mission is to influence people to find and follow Jesus. That's something that we say over and over again. And we hope you hear that. And the goal of that mission is that we would become Christ-like influencers. And so when we take a look at the Psalms, what we're hoping to do is get a look at the heart of someone who's got a heart that's fully after God. So when we talk about a guy like David who wrote a lot of the Psalms, David was a man after God's own heart. And so today we're going to get a peek into his heart in Psalm 16 because we're going to look at what's going on in his heart, what it is that his heart is crying out to God in Psalm 16. Now one of the things that we think about with Psalm 16 is this phrase, I take refuge in you. David starts off by saying, preserve me, O Lord, for I take refuge in you. We're here right now filming in this basement storeroom storage place that's supposed to kind of be like a storm shelter or a bomb shelter or something because it's the kind of place where we might go when there is a storm or when there is a need for refuge, when there's a need to hide or, or find security. And so we, we're finding some security here and it gives us a sense of confidence in the midst of storms around us. Psalm 16 is categorized as a psalm of confidence because it's establishing confidence in God in the midst of difficulty that people are going through, that David's going through here. And so the problem that we have a lot of times is that we put our confidence in the wrong stuff. We put our confidence in the things of this world and it always leaves us wanting. It leaves us frustrated. And so when we look at Psalm 16, we're going to see that our hearts need to find confidence in God, in Christ. When I meet with premarital couples, it's one of those things I do quite a bit. And I talk with premarital couples a lot about where their confidence in their relationship is. And a lot of times there's confidence in each other as a future spouse. There's a lot of times there's confidence in the history that they've had together. But I always tell them the best thing that they can bring to their marriage is a heart that's fully God's. And that's what we see in David here in Psalm 16. So I want us to dive in and really see if we can get a hold of what this looks like. 
Because what if we understood this? If we get this idea that our hearts can be fully God's and we can have confidence in him, and that confidence then changes the way we see our lives and our, our finances and our relationships with other people, like that confidence really drives everything in our lives. So that's what I want us to get a hold of here. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Psalm 16. If you don't have a Bible, let us know because we want to get you one. We believe this is God's word and it's really good. And so as we dive into Psalm 16, we're going to read the whole Psalm together. And I want us to see what David's getting at here. So let's read Psalm 16, starting in verse one. It says, a victim of David. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names on my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who's counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I've set the Lord continually before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. And because this is God's word and it's so powerful, I want to pray for us real quick. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak in this time, that we would hear what it is that you want us to see that we would hear what you want us to hear, that we'd see what you want us to see, that we would walk away changed because of the work of your Holy Spirit in this time. So I commit our time to you. Speak to us by your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we look at this concept of David crying out from his heart, I want us to start there in verse 1. He says, preserve me, O God. That's his cry. He's crying out, preserve me. He's calling, saying, God, save me, protect me, preserve me. Why does he do that? Because he's obviously feeling some sense of a need for preservation, some kind of need, some kind of danger that's around him, and he needs to be preserved from it. He's saying right there, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Why can he be preserved? Because he takes refuge in the Lord. Where do you take refuge? Where do you find safety, security, that sense of confidence? Where do you find that? You know, I think when I grew up in Louisiana and we would have storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, things that would come through, and we would always go get in the lowest point of the house. A lot of times that meant we would get into the bathtub and, and sit there and it was, it was a weird sense. We almost got in a bathtub here today, but it was a weird sense that we were in a bathtub feeling this sense of security. But there was some sense of security that we gained there. Being in a bathtub with your, your little uh, battery-operated radio and a flashlight, you're able to feel that, that relief, that sense of, man, okay, there's a, there's a safety here that I, I couldn't experience in another room of the house. It felt a little more secure. David here is declaring that God is his safest place. 
When he gets into verse two, the, he says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. Now, when we look at the, the Hebrew, what's, what's written there is he's saying, I said to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. He's saying, I said to the God, Yahweh, the one whose I am, the one that spoke to Moses, the one that established this covenant with the people of Israel, that God who keeps his promises, that's the one he's speaking to. And he says, you are my Lord, my Adonai, my, my Lord that I'm submitting myself to. I'm submitting myself to the authority of God. So we ask the question after verse one, do we shelter in him? Do we shelter in God? And here in verse two, we ask the question, do we follow him? Do we really see that he's our Lord? Man, if, if rescue, if refuge is tied to this idea of God's authority, then we, we start our refuge by submitting to his lordship. We start our rescue by having this radical preference for God and for the things of God that extends everything else. When we look at verses three and four, we, we start to see how our view of God actually affects our view of others. Check this out. He says, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are majestic ones, the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Have you ever experienced that kind of community that's just like a delightful community to be a part of or to be around? I worked as a camp counselor at a camp in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and there was just this overwhelming sense of joy being in the presence of these, these other guys that I worked with. And we got to get together last year, uh, just at the end of, of 2020, and we got to get together for a little reunion. And man, there was just a sense of joy being in their presence. I didn't have to do anything special. I didn't have to go anywhere. There was a sense of just being with them and near them. And in their presence, there was this delight and it's because there's this, this knowing that they're focused on the things of God and we were able to have this, this closeness, this brotherhood in Christ that's, that's a beautiful thing. David here is saying, as for these saints who are in the earth, he's not saying the saints are the source of his delight. He's saying God is his delight. But in the saints that are living for the purposes of God, it's a delightful thing. Because we're obeying God, we're following him, submitting to his lordship together. And he says, they're the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Then he says, the sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. So there's sorrow that's associated with following another God. He says, I'm not going to pour out these drink offerings or libations of blood. I'm not going to take the names of these other gods on my lips. I'm not even going to do that because they can't offer me anything. There is no refuge in them and there is no confidence in them and there is no good in them. We have no good besides the Lord. So I, I like this quote from John Piper. He says this, why would it be that you, a professing Christian, would find more joy in people who find no joy in what is your primary joy? Why is it that we would try to find joy in other people people who don't find the joy in the things that, that are our primary joy and the things of God. It's a challenge for us to consider. It's like, where are we really finding our joy? When we get to verse five, we see that God really is our treasure. And we have to ask that question, do we value him as our treasure? It says, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. 
You support my lot. God, you are my, my everything. You're the portion of my inheritance. You're my cup. You're what sustains me, God. And then the lines have fallen to me. These lines he's talking about are boundary lines, like territory lines. He's saying, they've fallen to me in pleasant places. My heritage is indeed beautiful to me. He sustains us. He supports us. And he provides what's needed. Our heritage in him really is a beautiful thing. I think about scenes in movies when you see people at the reading of a will and you can tell someone's disappointed by the inheritance that they get. And they said, oh, all I got was a pair of socks from that guy who died. And we, we see that kind of inheritance and we get disappointed and we think, oh man, God's somehow gonna let us down. God's got something for us, but it might just be a pair of socks. And I think we're afraid that that's all we're gonna inherit. But David's saying here, my inheritance is this beautiful thing. My heritage is beautiful. Know that God has something great that he wants us to experience in relationship with him. When we get to verse seven, we see that God is our counselor. And we start to ask the question, do we really trust him as our counselor? David says, I will bless the Lord who's counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. And I like that thought. I like the idea that he's instructing us in the night, that even while we're sleeping, even when we, we don't have any conscious awareness of what's going on. God is speaking something to our hearts. He's working something in our spirit that he is at work. He's steady and we can steadily trust in his guidance in the midst of that. See, our approach here, the way that we're, we're approaching God, look at what he says in verse 8. I've set the Lord continually before me. I've put him before me. He's what I'm thinking about. He's what's in front of my vision. God is filling my sight. I've set him continually before me. And then he says the result, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Because God is at my right hand, because he's right here, because he's with me, then I will not be shaken. There is this steady trust that we can have in God. And it's because he's with us. And then the result of this, because David starts with this refuge, this crying out, this longing for this relationship with God to get near. And then he says, there's no other God. There's nothing that's good. You're my Lord. I'm submitting to you. The saints who are in the earth that are doing your will. Man, that's a delight for me. And the Lord, you provide all that I need. You sustain me, my portion, my inheritance, my cup, the lines of my boundaries, my property, my heritage. And then I'm going to bless the Lord who's counseled me in the middle of the night. And my mind instructs me in the night. So the Lord's continually before me. And because he's at my right hand, I'm not going to be shaken. Then he says this in verse 9. Therefore, in light of all that stuff that came in the verses before, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul, my soul to Sheol, to the grave, to death. You're not going to abandon me, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You're going to make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So look at what he says there. There's gladness. There's abundance. There, there are rejoicing. There's resting in his hope. There's life and joy and pleasures. Why? because he will not abandon us. God does not abandon his people. He doesn't abandon even our souls to death or to decay. This theme that we see all throughout scripture is that God is with his people. Do you see that? 
Even start, I mean, the Garden of Eden, God's with Adam and Eve and there's this closeness and they reject him and they get far away from him. But God keeps drawing near. He makes it possible for them to continue a relationship with him. He creates this nation of Israel and establishes a covenant with them and draws them near to him. Then there's this closeness. He's drawing closer and closer. First, it's in this tabernacle kind of thing out in the wilderness that's portable. Then it becomes this temple that's more permanent. Then it becomes God himself in the flesh, dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus goes away and he says, it's good that I go away. Because when I go away, the helper's coming. And when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit that lives in all who put their faith and trust in Jesus. So there's a faith that comes from knowing that God is always with his people. Even now, his Holy Spirit's dwelling in us, living inside of us. The Holy Spirit of God that's active in his people that is God with us. And because God is with us, because he doesn't abandon us, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices in your presence, God. The presence is with me. In your presence is this fullness of joy. You're making known to me the path of life and in your right hand that's with me, there are pleasures forever. There's good stuff that God wants to say to us here. Have you ever known somebody who's experienced that kind of joy? You ever known those kind of people who are just joyful always? You know, if they're driving along, like, oh, that person just cut me off. And they're just, they're excited about life. And the circumstances of life don't seem to affect them the same way that they affect other people. And it's because that kind of person usually has this relationship with God where they know this confidence, they know this joy that comes from knowing that God is with his people. I hope you hear that today. I hope you hear that God is with his people and he never abandons his people and he's always there and that's a consistent truth. What I think we see clearly here throughout all 11 verses of of this psalm is that there's a longing for God's presence and in that longing, it leads to confidence. And that confidence leads to a fullness of joy. It's this kind of trust that happens that you see David saying here. It's this kind of security that really makes you want to sing. And I imagine that's what's going on with David is he's crying out, preserve me, God, but I can't stop singing about how great you are. I think about the the times when my son would come with us to a, a friend's house. And the friend would be somebody who's kind of unfamiliar, maybe not as well-known, or maybe their house is just not as well-known. And so we'd walk into the house, and my son would cling to my leg or really hold my hand tight and wouldn't want to let go, right? He wouldn't want to get away from me. But after we were there for a while and he saw that we weren't going to leave him there, he knew that we were with him in that place. Then he started to loosen up a little bit. Then he started to maybe pick up a toy and play with it. Then he started to be a little silly and he could be himself and there was this joy that came from him and I love those kind of moments and then there are times all the time I catch my sons sitting by themselves when they don't know I'm I'm watching and they sing these songs to themselves just because there's a security there's this safety in knowing I'm dwelling in a place I'm dwelling in the presence of someone who's got me who's securely holding me and I love that that is what David is telling us here. This is the gospel. This is the basic truth. And what's really cool is when you look at verses 8 through 11, those are the same verses that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 when he's telling the people about Jesus Christ. 
Because here David's saying, God, you're not going to allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You're not going to allow me to, to decay because he knows there's hope beyond the grave. There's hope beyond this world and what we see. But with Jesus, Jesus defeated death. Jesus died for humanity to put faith and trust in him. He died for those who would put their faith in him. And then through that, there's, there's freedom. There's, there's forgiveness of sins. When we put faith in him, we get, we get forgiven of our sins and we get his Holy Spirit living in us because he conquered death. He rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, his Holy One, he was the Holy One of God that did not undergo decay. And it's that same resurrection of Jesus that we get to participate in through faith because he's coming back. And there will be a great restoration of the kingdom of God. There will be, it's already in process. And there's this, this great work that God is doing. And so I wanna encourage you, if you haven't ever put your faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that you would do that. That you would put your faith in him. You'd say, I wanna stop going my way. I wanna stop go, start going God's way. And I want to turn toward him. And when we repent, when we put our trust in him, there's a transformation that God does in us. He makes us new creations. He gives us his spirit. That's the gospel. And Jesus said that he came so that we would have a fullness of joy. He wants to be having his fullness of joy in us. He wants us to experience that. So when we think about the, these people that we know in life, who seek things other than what God has to offer. You know, maybe you watched the Super Bowl last weekend. Maybe you're a big sports fan. Maybe you're a fan of musicians or actors or whoever it might be. And you think, man, that's the greatest of all time. He's great or she's great or whatever. You have this idea of someone who has accomplished all that they want to accomplish. What I would put to you today is that whoever that person is, whatever it is, if they are not finding their joy in Christ, if they're not finding their joy in relationship with God through Jesus, then they have a joy that is not full. And that's why you see people so many times who have done that, who, I won the Super Bowl. Well, it didn't really do for me what I thought it was going to do, so I, I had to come back and win it again, and then I have to keep trying to win it. And then, well, now I can't play football anymore. What am I going to do? Or, well, I, I tried to win this, and there's always this chasing of something more because nothing fills you. None of that joy is joy to the full, but in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy, and that's what he wants us to see. So as we consider that, I want to ask you this question. When's the last time that you burst into song? When's the last time that you just wanted to sing? You, you understood the fullness of God's joy and you just burst into a psalm of praise or a psalm of confidence. or a, You just wanted to sing to God. I think about, I mean, it happens in musicals and Disney movies all the time, right? Like somebody's waiting there to just all of a sudden burst into song. Like, why, why don't we do that? That should be characteristic of Christ followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should have an overflowing joy that's evident in your life. I, I kind of think about it like this. We started off talking about how we're here in this sort of bomb shelter, storm shelter place, basement, whatever it is. As we're here, what if bombs go off? What if things around us start to, to crash down? What if we lose jobs or lives or loved ones or, or possessions? Like, what if those things go away? 
I think what David is showing us here is that we can have the kind of confidence in God because of his presence, that he will guide us through life and even through death. And we can have confidence in him and in his presence, we can experience fullness of joy because he is with us. So we can say, bring on the bombs. We can say, bring on the the wreck, bring on whatever it is that's going to happen. Because our trust is not in our circumstances, but our trust is in the Lord. And that is something that we can be confident in, his presence with us. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to see from your point of view, to see the fullness of joy that you want us to experience. God, give us an overwhelming sense of how you are our refuge that we can shelter in you, how you are our Lord. We can submit to you, we can follow you, and we should. God, you're our treasure. We should value you. We should hold you above all else. God, you're our counselor. We can trust you. And I thank you that you are always with your people. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You never abandon us. And in that, God, there is fullness of joy, not because of any circumstance we experience, but because of you, your presence with us. Thank you for how good you are, God. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.